I had this like tribe of women taking care of me and they were like my people, you know? And there was no fear. I was just comfortable and I didn't invite anyone that I wasn't comfortable with. But they all got to hold him and I just went to sleep. I was freaking exhausted. I've been pregnant for 10 months. It was just a beautiful experience. I'm Danielle. Welcome to the Birth Journeys podcast. It is my belief that our birth journey has a lasting impact that goes far beyond delivery. It is my hope that through these stories, you would find the insight, tools, and the courage to go on and have your own positive and empowering birth journey. Just as a reminder, any information you hear on this podcast is meant to inform and encourage you on your birth journey and not intended to replace advice from your medical professional. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Birth Journeys podcast. Today we have Barbara on the show and she's going to be sharing her birth stories with us. Hey Barbara, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories today. Thank you for thinking of me and inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So why don't you start out by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, So I am almost 39. I will be next month. I have four sons, 15, 12, 9, and 18 months. I live in Southwest Washington, and I am happily married uh, to my second husband. That's the reason for that big gap there in birth. Um, And I am a stay-at-home mom, but I am an ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs Enneagram. Um, I'm a three. So that makes me the least likely human on the planet to be a stay-at-home mom. So although (laughs) I have that title, um, I I am a full-time side hustler. I don't know. I do vacation rentals and I love to write. And um, brainstorm and help people uh, just do business ideas and um, stuff like that. So I do that while I sit here at home with a monkey of a child. So Mm -hmm. um, what else? Um, I think that's about it. I uh, am here obviously to talk about births and my birth journeys and my birth stories, which is, I think, probably the easiest topic for women to um, talk about because it's such a memorable experience mm. and and time for us all. So, yeah, yeah. So, where would you say in your life that your birth journey really began? Well, um, my grandmother, I have her namesake. She died the night before I was born and she had 17 children and my mother had eight and I was the seventh of eight kids. And so I am Barbara and I think that it is just something that was predetermined that it's just a a, a lineage thing. I think that where I came from was just huge families and that was your network and your support and, um, and your joy and just part of the life process. And so I never knew how many I would have, but I always just imagined marrying fairly young. Um, and so, and I didn't want to 
start having a family um, right away. Uh, so I we didn't, um, but we. In my husband at the time, he had a similar background to me, and so, but we wanted to get uh, settled in our life and get a home, and uh, before we started the family and have that time as a couple too, because we married really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, we decided that we would get pregnant after we got um, our first house, and. Um, I just coincidentally went to a doctor's appointment um, for a checkup and he asked when my last period was. I think we thought about trying that. This is how I got pregnant. I think we thought about trying one time and um, and then I was, he said, so you could be pregnant. And I was like, no, I, I don't think so. And he said, well, why don't you take a test? And then he came in with a thumbs up and I thought, what does that mean? And he's like, you're pregnant. I was like, oh, wow. So that was how I found out I was pregnant with my first son, Walker. Wow. Who, um, and I was 23, uh, 20. Oh, oh, my goodness. I did the math before this conversation because I was like, how do people <laughs> not remember this stuff? I was 24 when I delivered him. So, um, and yeah, so that process um I can go right into that if you want me to. Yeah, sure. So that's I how I found. Share. That's how. Yeah. yeah, that's how I found out I was pregnant with Walker, and um, I was living in New England, New Hampshire at the time, and so I knew that I wanted a hospital birth because I felt like that was much safer. My mother-in-law at the time was a proponent and a, a advocate of home births, and um, but I was very pro-medicine, pro-painkillers, the whole nine yards. And so I remember my early symptoms. Uh, My mother and a couple of my sisters have uh, hypermesis gravidarum, I think it's called. Uh, Mm -hmm. So my mom actually lost. So there's eight children, but she lost six of them. And I believe five of them were directly caused from that. Um, she was hospitalized with most of us. She, the smell of toilet water would make her vomit. I mean, she, she, my dad would find her passed out and, um, she just couldn't, she couldn't even have water. So she needed to go get fluids all the time. So I have two sisters that were similar, um, not quite as bad, but Zofran helped them. I just, I don't have that because I, could eat, but I definitely threw up every day, all the time. Um, but I could keep food down for hours on end. So that would probably be how I never would have considered myself an a, a advocate or not. A, I mean, a candidate for medication. Um, but I definitely puked all the time, and I was very moody, and. Uh, the hormones just threw me for a loop. I remember that first pregnancy, back pain being horrible as my hips spread for the first time. And as all of that stuff happened, um, I couldn't sleep. I would have to go to chiropractors and massages. And that definitely helped. Um, they did prescribe me like a Tylenol 3 or something because I was a baby about it. And um And so then that continued on in the pregnancy after around the second trimester, end of the second trimester, I was no longer, I didn't have morning sickness. And 
I uh, carried Walker until four days overdue. So I was 40 weeks and three days. I went into labor on that second day. And so the contractions were timable around five minutes apart. Uh, no, no, no. They were probably 10 minutes apart when it first started. And, um, but they didn't really hurt. But I thought they hurt at the time. But I didn't know what was coming. <laughs> and so in my estimation, I was in active labor. That was not close to the experience I was about to endure. And I definitely hit the false alarm there. I went to the hospital and they sent me home uh, with a sleeping pill. And then I did that. I took the sleeping pill and, and those pre-labor contractions continued on. And I was very excited thinking that I was in full-blown pain. And, um, and then the whole process ended up being 45 hours. Wow. So w I went to the hospital around that 36 hour mark. And, um, and then from there we stayed all night. Um, and I did ask for anything. I remember saying, I want Demerol. I want Stadol. I want an epidural. I want anything. And they didn't <laughs> like me very much. And it, well, I mean, I mean, I'm not sure about that, but I wouldn't have liked me very much. And cause I think <laughs> I was dilated. I think I was dilated to two at that point. And, um, and so I ended up getting an epidural around five and proposing marriage to that doctor. And he turned <laughs> me down and, mm. uh, I fell asleep at that point. And then when I woke up, um, I, it was only about a two hour nap. I was at that point, I was at a 10. And I began to push, and that process was five hours of pushing. And so wow. they had given me an epidural, but at that point, and I and I thought that that was normal um, for a first baby, and my mom and sisters and things like that. And time warps itself when you're in labor like that. And um, so I called my aunt and my cousin, and they came. Um, as my support people. So it was us and my husband. And uh, the baby was posterior. And so as he was coming down, they could tell. And so the doctor would, uh, many times during that five-hour period, he pushed him back up, hoping to turn him that he would come down correctly. And so they ended up bringing me a mirror and I could see his head clearly i mean i'm talking like a coffee cup uh, it, it was there and it was the very stuckest thing i've ever seen stuck and mm. i um so for 5 hours that's what i could see and so then my epidural kind of wore off i could get up and i pushed off a bar um you know in hindsight i don't you know the witnesses say they hadn't seen you know, that I had done everything I could do. But at that point, my husband stood up and he said, you have to take this baby. It's been, it's, it's not coming. And the doctor said, I've been feeling like that for, you know, about the last hour and a half. And there was a lot of swelling. So then I just said, can I continue to push? And I had those pushing pains, those pushing urges. And so I continued to try to push that baby out all the way until they pulled him out the other side on the OR table. And so I remember them saying he was so stuck 
that one doctor was pushing his head from the front and the other two doctors or a doctor and a nurse was saying one, two, three, pull, one, two, three, pull. I'm getting emotional saying that. That was a stuck baby. If that was a long time ago, I probably would have died. (laughs) If that was the 1700s, I don't know. There was something they could have done about that one. So anyway, um, I didn't let them take pictures. So they put me in recovery. Um, My husband took the baby. I was there for about two hours. And, um, And then Walker was eight pounds, eight ounces. And we named him Walker. And he was a sweetie, but I didn't let them take pictures of the side of his head. And that was the, oh, they did vacuum him. They vacuumed him for about an hour too. Um, but I wouldn't let them use forceps when he was stuck. Mm-hmm. So um, his head was, uh, it was about, yeah, the size of a coffee cup, but the side of his head, and it was just above his ear. So that's how cockamimi his head was trying to come out. Mm-hmm. And that was why he was so very stuck. And so um, I had a lot of swelling and that recovery um, took about five weeks for me to feel myself again. I remember having a hard time, you know, uh, laughing and standing up out of a chair. I was put on oxycodone, um, and, or maybe it was hydrocodone. And I definitely overused it, not knowing how much it was masking my pain for those first, you know, seven days. I know that they don't do that as much anymore. This was 15 years ago. And it it definitely pushed me harder than I should have pushed myself and I set myself back. So I would just recommend, you know, for other people, you know, they I, I think they don't actually overprescribe it like they did. They would just say one or two, and I'm like two. <laughs> and I would just <laughs> keep my pain level at a two. And um and I was just constipated to all high heaven. Oh, and that was the other one. Leaving the hospital, I would never leave the hospital after a cesarean until you've had a bowel movement. Mm-hmm. That came in contractions because because of so much narcotics, because of the epidural, because of the C-section, it was just this compounding thing. And so I believe it was seven days before I had a bowel movement. And that was as painful as the birth. It came in contractions. I never even saw it. It was very underwhelming in the end, <laughs> just sunk. <laughs> so um, it was amazing. But I, so I would recommend you doing that under the care of a doctor. Definitely mm-hmm. take the suppository, whatever that means, you know, don't go through that process. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that was it. I remember being weepy that first week uh, with that shock of the hormones. I never saw the placenta. I know that's another question you like to ask about. Mm-hmm. Um, they saw it and they said it was nice, but um, I think that's all I have to share with regards to that birth mm-hmm. and that time. Uh, from there, I wanted a VBAC and I wanted um, my children um, about, I, I, I don't know how much we planned for it, but again, I think I thought about getting pregnant Um, and then it was four weeks later, I was reading a book and I looked down and all of a sudden I was like, why are my boobs in the way of these pages? (laughs) And, (laughs) and I was like, what is going on? And so that was it. That was, I knew it. And, um, the next day I went and got a pregnant, next morning I went and got a pregnancy test and I was pregnant and 
I um, had a very similar um, pregnancy with that as far as morning sickness and symptoms. It was um, fairly easy. And then at 32 weeks, I had back pain, horrible back pain. And I was a wedding coordinator at the time, and it was keeping me awake at night. And I couldn't diagnose it because I am not very in tune to my body, apparently. And I did a wedding, I remember. I coordinated a wedding, and I couldn't sleep the night before. And then that night, I came home, and I was at a level 10 pain. And I was like, what? Maybe it was nine. I was at a nine. It was, but I was throwing up. And my husband said, you need to get to the hospital. And I wouldn't go. And so my sister came and picked me up, (laughs) my sister, Lorinda. And she said, we're going to the hospital. And so we just went to the uh, ER and I just said, I need something to help me sleep. And they said, you need to go up. Honey, you oh need to go goodness. upstairs to because you're pregnant and you need to go to your doctor. And so I went up to the OB apartment and department and um, they put a monitor on me and I was having contractions every four minutes and I had a hundred and three temperature and I had a full blown kidney infection and I didn't even realize it because my back hurt so bad from my kidneys being inflamed that I didn't even feel the contractions. So I, they were like, this is wow. serious. And then at that moment, I think I was like, oh, this is serious. Whoa. So they ended up keeping me. Oh, I had E. coli. That was weird. So I tested positive for E. coli. Um, don't really, never really found the connection with that. Maybe it, it caused the kidney infection. Um, but I ended up on antibiotics for the remainder of my pregnancy. So I was hospitalized for three days. And then, and they're like, you realize you're cooking your baby. Like this isn't, you can't just have a hundred and three fever. Like you can't, when you're pregnant, go to the doctor who did not read this pamphlet to you, little girl, this is your second pregnancy. So anyway, memo for that girls. So things you just didn't know, you know, until you know. You, 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 the thing is, is I've listened to a lot of these podcasts of yours, all of, almost all of them. And we do the best with the information we have at the time yeah. with no exception. And it's like, mm-hmm. when you know better, you do better. And that's why we're here. So here it is. Yeah. So, uh, then Hudson, my little second boy. So I was again, well, I didn't tell you this. I was 175 pounds. I was 175 pounds every time I delivered. It didn't matter where I started. I started at like 120. And then when I started at 150, I started at 130. It didn't matter. When I hit that goal weight right there, it was like, do, 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 drop out. <laughs> so uh, again, I was 40 weeks and three days pregnant with Hudson and I wanted a VBAC. And uh, because how did this work? How did this work? Why did I, why was I so adamant about getting an epidural? Oh, cause walkers didn't work. The first one didn't work. Cause I was like, I was walking around. Obviously I didn't have an epidural. I, I felt the whole thing. So I wanted to be back and I wanted an epidural. And, um, and I, uh, was going to show up on time. It was a 20 minute ride. I was living in Washington here at Washington at the time. And I, um, 
remember, I didn't try to do anything to like induce my labor or anything. Um, but I went to bed and woke up two hours later at maybe, you know, three o'clock in the morning or so. And, uh, four o'clock in the morning, I think it was. And, uh, woke up to a, a feeling of my water breaking. I went into the bathroom and my, my water broke over the toilet kind of started leaking more or less. So because with every time I moved, it kind of sloshed out a little bit more. I think his head was immediately engaged. So I went downstairs and I called the hospital and I said, my water just broke. I'm a VBAC. I will be coming in. And I figured I would wash my floors and, you know, puddle around. I don't know, piddle around. And I woke up my husband and I said, um, I think it's, we're going to go soon. Um, my water broke, so we should be starting things soon. And then 20 minutes after that water broke, I had my first contraction. And some say it thundered. It was a freight train. It, it hit me so hard and I dropped to my knees and I mooed like a cow for 60 seconds. And I was like, what just happened? Mm -hmm. And I got up and I was like, oh no, oh no, I can't do that in a, in a car. I can't do that in a car. And so mm -hmm. I, I went and I was like, uh, we have to go. Um, I, we have to pack the bags. We have to go. And I had a babysitter 20 minutes away. And so I called my sister and I said, come bring the babysitter. Um, and then my had sisters that planned to come to the hospital and watch me. And so from there, I would say I probably had five contractions and maybe six. And every one of them, I dropped to my knees. It took, and it was like, I couldn't do anything but make this guttural mooing sound. And we, uh, sped to the hospital. I think he went like 110. And I think I had four contractions in the car. And then I had one more in the elevator and then one more at the, uh, at the place where you check in. And they said, we need to put you in triage. And I was like, my name is Barbara. I'm about to have this baby. And I cannot go to triage. I was like, we have, we have 15 seconds. And then by then they were 90 second long moving things. And the woman saw me do this 90 second ridiculousness. And she was like, okay. And so I was like, wait, I, I actually need to pee and poop first. And so I was like, don't let me get in that bed. And so she watched me have one contraction. She's like, and we need to check you <laughs> because I didn't realize I was at a 10 by then. And, wow. um, and she was like, okay, and we're going for it. And so I was like, but I, I need the drugs. I need the drugs. And she was <laughs> like, oh, you're not, you're not getting the drugs. And, mm -hmm. and so, um, at that point, his heart rate was dropping and, uh, the doctor who wanted me to have a C-section was at the door. So I had two doctors, one advocate for getting this baby V back. Let's get this thing out of you. And another that was just cautiously waiting because this is a VBAC and these aren't the easiest things. Um, so, you know, in, in, in some situations. So uh, I uh, had the ring of fire. I experienced that. My sisters showed up in time. Um, 
I remember they kind of surrounded me. They're funny. They, between the, all of us, I think there's something like 30 at this point, 38 births at the time, maybe we were in our you know, high twenties and they were just the A team. And I took one by the neck and I think she had to go to the chiropractor the next day. Oh. And <laughs> I, she didn't say a word, but, um, and yeah, those girls just held my legs back and, Cause they were, I think the woman was just giving me a couple more pushes and they were like, otherwise we're taking this baby. It, it seems to be, I don't recall, but I think it was about an hour of pushing or so. Um, it took quite a while, but uh, Hudson was um, in the mid sevens. Was he like seven, six? He was a healthy little boy. And um, I remember on the, the recovery was instantaneous. It was so much better having a vaginal delivery versus a C-section. Um, I was up in a, in the bath within 60 minutes um, and my sisters were holding the baby and everything was good. We were, I was discharged uh, the next day and um the recovery was good. I do remember being very weepy on those days, three to two weeks. Um, and again, it, it took about three. This one was about a three-week recovery. Oh, this was a good tear. I had an episiotomy and a tear mm. during that delivery. So because of the baby being stuck and because of the heart rate, I believe that's why she made that decision. That was definitely um, harder of a recovery. Yep. So that that's what took all of that three weeks. Um, and emotionally, um, it was, I didn't like being weepy like that. Um, from then on, I chose to encapsulate my placenta. So, um from there, it was just like clockwork. That was three, six, and then three years later, I had another boy. So this time, um, how did we, how did I find out I was pregnant, Mr. Porter? I, well, we had, so how we had a home birth, we had a home birth with this one. And we were at a nonprofit auction and a local woman who I love um, has been a midwife since the 70s. She's delivered over 3,000 babies and um, has just a great reputation. She essentially donated the prenatal care and a birth and we bought it and for a steal of a price. And we weren't mm -hmm. even pregnant. We weren't sure if we were going to have another baby, but they were, a, it's my, actually my aunt's mother. So um, we knew her, and at the time, um, that's what we decided to do. So uh, I got pregnant with Porter right away again. Um, and um, from there, that pregnancy, under the care of a midwife, I felt like I was a lot healthier that pregnancy, and my energy was a lot better. I watched my diet more. Um, they cared about my protein intake. I had very low 
blood pressure uh, the entire pregnancy. I think I probably always do, but, oh, wait, I'm actually going to solve a, a mystery right here over verbalizing this. This is how sometimes people think. So I had very low blood pressure, like 30 over 70. And, um, and yeah, sometimes, you know, 40 over 60. And these were at doctor's appointments and they were never concerned. They would prescribe me and I would, so I was under the care of a midwife. I would see her all the time. But when I would go to like dermatology appointments and other appointments, Mm -hmm. that's when I would, they would note it and say, is this normal? And I was prescribed caffeine actually, um, because that's what you need to do to keep your heart beating fast, I guess. <laughs> and so I did the regular 20-week ultrasound. That came out great. Um, the rest of the pregnancy was good. Uh, we, I ended up going very overdue. So it was 24 days overdue. before I delivered and he was only he was just over seven pounds it was ultrasound dated and period dated so it was dated at the eight an eight or nine week ultrasound then again at a 17 week ultrasound um, or maybe it was 20 week ultrasound and then again I at 40 42 weeks, I got a little bit nervous. Being that it was a home birth, I uh, went for an ultrasound. And I remember at that ultrasound, just to make sure that everything was normal, that everything was good. Um, and we went, I think I would go every couple days, definitely every three days or something to the midwife after a certain point to pee. And they don't mess around with preeclampsia and anything like that. Um, well, in this scan, I remember it took the doctor a very long time to find the umbilical cord and they had to get in another doctor to come in and find it. And then it turned out to be okay. So he found it and everything looked normal. And so we continued on and I had a neighbor at the end of my driveway. Um, It was my landlord at the time. And he, any, he was my favorite person. He died a couple of years ago. He had two, sorry, three doctorates and a master's degree. And he was a brilliant homeopathic doctor. He first was a medical doctor. Then he had his, uh, got his natural medicine um, doctorate. And then he went for Chinese medicine and acupuncture. And he started a practice and he reminded me of Dr. House, like Unsolved Mysteries. Mm-hmm. So you... I would go to him for anything um, and he could make me some Chinese tincture or um, prescribe me things. So he started giving me acupuncture. So I'd walk down to the end of his driveway and he would give me acupuncture and his wife was a paramedic. And so I felt kind of safe on the driveway. It was just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And so I figured if anything went wrong, they would come save me. And uh, and they they secretly hoped that the the midwife didn't make it. They really wanted to deliver my baby. But, <laughs> um, but uh, so at 40, uh, that 43 weeks and um, what was it be? 43 weeks and two days, 43 weeks and four days. 
it was so long, 43 weeks and two days. I think that's what it was. Um, I had started, my niece came over, she did my hair. It was like noon. I was having like these non-painful contractions all day long. And I mean, not even a little bit painful, but they were 10 minutes apart. And it was almost like doing a sit-up or a squat. Uh, yeah, basically like a crunch. And that night I went for uh, acupuncture, walked down to the end of the driveway and came home. And at midnight I took a bath and um, I, because it, because the contractions were getting closer and closer together, but I wasn't even calling them contractions because they were like little crunches, just mm -hmm. a little crunch. And I went into the bathtub and I, and I drained all of my poor family's hot water tank that I was about to need to give birth to a baby in my kitchen. And I felt, I reached up and I felt in my vagina and I could feel his head. Wow. And I was like, <laughs> um, okay. And so I got up and I called the midwife and I said, I mean, it might be false labor, <laughs> but I feel his head, but this doesn't hurt at all. And, uh, but you should probably come. And, and so I had, I had a photographer planned. I had 15 people coming and, you know, it was my sisters, my five sisters and my two sister-in-laws and my mom and my best friend. And then the photographer and my husband and the midwife and the, and the <laughs> midwife's daughter. So, <clears throat> and so we set up that we have to boil water and then we're in this steamy little trailer and, and, um, it's still not hurting at all. And then at some point I was like, okay. And they were timeable. And then at some point I, I said, okay, I want to get in the tub. And then I had one contraction and then I was like, okay, who's going to trade my place? That's the irrational thoughts. Okay. <laughs> Those happen during labor. And I'm like, which one of you is going to get in those tubs? I'm, I quit. I quit. I'm done. Go home. Party's <laughs> over. Everyone leave. This is done. Everyone bye. Go back home. I, I, I can't, you know what? I'm going to do it a different day. We're going to just reschedule. And, um, and then I started throwing up and, uh, and then, then he started the F words, you know, and then, um, and then, at that point, then I just turned around and she's like, okay, let's check you. So that's the other thing with a home birth. They don't check you much um, mm -hmm. because it's a hands-off approach because, and maybe we'll get into, I guess I didn't get into the whole strep B and all of those other things that, that, that happen. Um, you know, at this point I never checked. This was my only birth. I didn't check for gestational diabetes. Not that I had it the other two times, but I didn't check for it because I had done the research on the risks. And I had known that the risk is C-section. Well, I'm at home. Mm -hmm. You're not getting a C-section. The risk mm -hmm. is big birth weights. Well, oh, and a C-section. Well, I'm not getting a C-section. So mm -hmm. we're just going to get out a big baby. And I've had the, you know, and I had, the, I was scared because I was overdue, but I had seen that the baby seemed to be, you know, under eight pounds, around eight pounds. And so everything it was just checking out. Okay. You know, and the other thing that they don't, that I didn't check for, for the first time was, um, gestation, um, no strep B. And although I do know the risks and, uh, and I believe that I was strep B positive with Walker, um, and they had me on the antibiotics, but I learned that it was a transient illness it was transient bacteria. And so 
you have it and then you don't have it. And when they test you for it, they usually test you for way more weeks than you're going to deliver. And by then it should be gone and out of your system. So Mm -hmm. in, in the way it's spread is by putting your hands in you and getting it into, you know, cross contaminating that birth canal and having that baby sit there with those stripped membranes or those, you know, in a, um, not intact sack. And so anyway, they, they definitely have a, everything they did that I was previously not comfortable with, they explained it to me and I did the research in such a way that I was like, wow, and now this makes sense to me and I'm okay with this route and I'm okay with this um, protocol. And so um, where did that lead me? So at that point they checked me, I think it was maybe for the second time. She checked me the first time and said, you're, you know, you're almost ready. And then um, she said, you're ready to push. So I pushed for, I think it was 20 minutes and it was just blackout seeing spots, you know, kind of pain. And I had a good photographer that time. So I actually have documentation. That was really cool Mm -hmm. to see um, Mm -hmm. all of it. You know, I would, that was just, if you have, I mean, I wouldn't get a gross. I, I mean, you have to hire someone good. Don't don't just go take picture. I don't know. I'm just I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's each to their own. Each to each their own. I guess. What are you going to use them for? But I just I just didn't want them on someone's cell phone or something. You know, like mm-hmm. I hired a professional photographer that does that, and yeah. and just in a beautiful way. You know, she got me on my good eye angles. You know, so um, <laughs> so then uh, Porter was what was crazy about that okay so it just the pain was so short-lived that was really cool um I loved that part of it I loved so then when he comes out I mean this is my only and first water birth um when he comes out of me all of a sudden she says short cord short cord short cord and then I have no concept of what that means but my sisters or somebody comes up underneath me in this tub and they lift my hips. And so they're holding me and, um, Oh yeah. I got to tell this whole story. So they're holding me by the hips and my, my midwife is holding this baby, which it appears to be about two inches out of my body, you know, his cord to, to my wow. vagina. And that's as far as she can get him. And and she says, um, she says, the cord is pulsing. The cord is pulsing. Baby's okay. The cord is pulsing. And so I don't realize that this means the baby's not breathing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, you know, and then she, so she says to me, say his name. And so um, I was like, his name's Porter. Actually, I said, his name's Porter Fenway. And my husband said, no, his name's Porter Miles. And I was like, okay, fine. His name's Porter Miles. Like, I kind of thought like, you know, you just all witnessed that. Don't I get the rights to name him? So anyway, his name's Porter Miles. And, um, and, but Porter Miles didn't breathe for four and a half minutes. Wow. Right there. And so um, maybe it's four minutes and 20 seconds. I think that's what it ended up being. So he comes out and she does some puffs in his mouth and 
she says to say his name and she rubs his back and his cord is pulsing the whole time. So I don't realize to panic and that this is probably an extended period of time, you know, but at that point, then and he was gray, you know, so he came out. Oh, and he made eye contact with me. It was the craziest, most beautiful thing. And, and he kind of like reached up to me, but then all of a sudden his arms kind of tremored. And then I just saw gray, gray go from his forehead down, down, down his body. And then that's when we started this thing, you know? And so then she breathed into his mouth. And that's when he, he came alive. And, and I know she elbowed my knee, my sister, and she said, pray. Mm. <laughs> and, and someone ran out the back door and threw up because <laughs> oh. I found the throw up the next day. And, um, <laughs> and, but he was fine and, you know, and they knew not to, to cut the cord and, and he, mm-hmm. it pulsed and he was getting his oxygen from there. And, 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 you know, oh, you know what else? That water was 107 degrees. It was the hottest. It was 104. It was the hottest experience of my life because we had to boil the water. We didn't take all this, you know, maybe with the baby got a little shocked. Maybe I was a little shocked. I, I don't know, but he lived. Mm-hmm. It was all good. <laughs> they had yeah. oxygen there. They needed it, but it was definitely a tense moment. I have tears in my eyes. So, mm-hmm. um, I was weak. And uh, my sisters picked me up and uh, they took me to the bathtub and someone fed me yogurt. And it was just this really, really cool experience where like I had this like tribe of women taking care of me and they were like my people, you know, and there was no interference of like there was no fear. There was no, I think there was just music playing and it was real steamy in there because it was a small house. There were a lot of people, but I was just comfortable and I didn't invite anyone that I wasn't comfortable with, but they all got to hold him and I just went to sleep because I was freaking exhausted. I've been pregnant for 10 months. And, uh, and, um, my mom came afterwards because my mom doesn't like, Oh, my mom would have had a coronary, so she didn't get to see it. So, but she came right at the end and so she came and cleaned out my poopy tub for me and mm-hmm. she's just the best little cleaner and she washed my windows and she set out my Christmas tree because it was December 1st and I slept, I slept for four hours and they just took, and someone I think came and put my baby on my boob and, uh, I, it was just a beautiful experience. And so mm-hmm. I, my cord was 24 centimeters it was eight inches long from, wow. and so if you look in medical journals and medical books, there is no such thing. It's not even, there's a range that is so far under the range. So huh. I don't have an explanation, but the thing that I'm coming to is, is I wonder if this is why I had chronically low blood pressure. I wonder if this baby is why, is why it took 10 months to cook. You know, I Mm -hmm. have come to terms with the fact that babies, you're never going to be pregnant forever. You're not, you're not. (laughs) And there is time for intervention, but there is time for not. And so if you have a trusted doctor, um, just trust your, your medical staff, but do your research, you know, and, but just promise, research it. Everybody 
is dies and, and no one's pregnant forever. I think those are the two things, right? <laughs> and maybe taxes. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's like, like, you just can't get away from it, guys. Like this baby's coming out and, and it's, God's going to help it come out too, you know? Yeah. But some, you know, and there's, there's things like preeclampsia and there's things you don't mess around with. And, you know, I don't know if I'd ever be comfortable having a breech baby, but I can tell you that, that it, it happens. And, mm-hmm. um, the cool thing about that tub birth to, was the the fact that they could just move me and rotate me and put me from side to side. And mm-hmm. I felt like the baby just came out so much faster with the intuition of someone who sat there with their hand on my belly and they just knew exactly the position of that baby. And, um, and then also I didn't tear for the first time. So we had an olive oil compress and she stretched me that whole time. Um, and so I would say that recovery period was, I mean, it was, I don't know, 10 days, maybe, maybe a week. It was, I bounced back very fast. She encapsulated my placenta. That was the first time I did not cry. I did not cry. You guys, I didn't cry. (laughs) What? It was just insane. And so, um, yeah, and that was just a beautiful experience. And mm. he was an old soul and he was just wise beyond his little years. And because um, he grew up inside of me or something, I don't know. He's just a little, that happens with third boys too. They 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 have to be born grown up. Otherwise, I think they can't keep up. <laughs> so um, one more and I'm going over time, but um so then I had a big, long gap and, uh, I, this is a true story. So, and I'm an honest person, but I was best friends for a few brief short months with my husband before, um, we decided to date and, um, we were talking. He had never, even at that point, he had never held a baby. He was an only child and he was almost 40 and we, um, we're just best friends talking on the phone one night. I was painting, cutting my toenails and he was asking me about having babies or having a porter. And he was asking me about Porter's birth. And he asked me where um, my ex-husband was. And I said, he was sleeping on the couch. And, um, and he said, and I was like, well, I mean, if you ever had a baby, where I mean, we're sick, there's shit in that tub. And where would you be? <laughs> and he was like, there is not a force on this planet that could have kept me out of that tub. Mm. And I was like, oh, shoot. Some girl's going to be lucky to have your baby. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, a year later, um, we ended up getting married and, and I, on our wedding night, I got pregnant. And, um, so I immediately knew I was going to do a home birth again. And, um, I ended up having, a uh, he played music every day for the baby. He gets up and prays every morning and meditates. Um, and, um, and he would play music on my stomach on earphones to the baby. And um, he was, he went to every appointment and definitely felt, yeah, it was, it was very fun to see the experience through his eyes. Um, 
because it was like, I'm almost 40 and it was just fun to have that interaction of, um, yeah, someone holding your hair back when you threw up and, and not knowing all the rules, you know, because when you, when you don't see, have you never seen any other birth before? You don't know any rules. And so it was mm-hmm. like just this person who didn't know the rules. And so, and so it was, it was a fun, I'm, I'm glad to be done um, having babies. This was definitely my last. So um, I ended up uh, having the same throwing up. Um, I definitely ate a lot. I found out about fermented foods and H. pylori in this pregnancy. And H. pylori is a bacteria in your gut that is found in um, almost every woman who has this hyper- now I'm going to forget that word again. Hyperemesis. <laughs> yes. So um, what you can do is, is you can go on a long, or you can go on an antibiotic and, and kill this bacteria that is in your gut. Um, but if you're already pregnant, um, you can't go on antibiotics. And so they found in some studies that uh, colloidal silver and fermented foods helps nausea tremendously. So it's like kefir and sauerkraut and, um, you know, and probiotics are good and um, colloidal silver, which you can get at any natural food store. You can get it online. And I took that. I threw up only about uh, 16 weeks, 19 weeks this time. And then um, other than that, oh, I was so hormonal. Oh, I cried all the time. It was, it was COVID, but I was, it was, I was so blue. It was ill, my poor husband. And it was like a, it was just, I was just blue. There was just a cloud and it, I didn't know what to do about it. Like I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was very, it was very good to verbalize it. He would have me verbalize it and you can get in an ugly place in your head. And so it's really important to verbalize it to somebody, find a friend, you know, and, or your husband, you know, and, you know, maybe husbands, some husbands are too busy or some husbands aren't geared like that, you know, cause don't put it on your husband to be geared like that if he's not. So me saying all this stuff about this guy, this, you know, if your husband's not, that don't put expectations. I'm not saying that that everybody is, but um, do find a listening ear and a compassionate person who's not going to internalize your problems <laughs> and think you're actually complaining about them, you know. And and just know that you are hormonal and mm-hmm. your feelings are valid and they're real, but they're also hormones, mm-hmm. and and so they just need to get through the system. <laughs> They just need to work their way through your system, girl. And stay well fed. Go eat something. Seriously. So stay fed and hydrated. And uh, what else? So then following that, um, I ended up at 41 weeks delivering Atlas. So I woke up at seven o'clock in the morning to my husband calling in sick from work because I was in labor. I have never been so irritated at him in my entire life. 
<laughs> I went 43 weeks overdue with my last pregnancy. And he made a phone call into work. And I was like, what are you doing? And he said, I've been watching your stomach. You're having your baby today. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was like, you can't do this. I said, this is the most humiliating thing ever. And he's like, nope, you're having your baby. And he's like all excited. And I was like, it's like a setup. It's not even bad. And it was like every six minutes or something. And um, and so he called the midwife and he needed to make an appointment because Barbara's in labor. And I was like, oh, gosh. So we go in and she's like, okay, so, I mean, yep, I can also see that too, Brent. She is having contractions every six minutes, but she's 50% effaced or something like that. And she's only dilated to two. So um, this could be a while. Mm. And, but the baby's not engaged. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. I believe at this point I went and took black and blue cohosh which is something you have to ask your doctor about because I'm not one, but um, so Google it because I'm not a doctor and I don't want to, <laughs> but I, so anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that is I took black and blue cohosh. So, um, and I, I believe that it gave me harder contractions than it needed to earlier than it needed to. I don't know that it was very helpful, but um, I, we went that whole day and we walked, we walked parks all around town and um, we went shopping and we just hung out that day together and they never stopped and they never slowed down. They got faster, but they never hurt. And um, at one o'clock when we went to bed that night and I was like, you're going to work tomorrow. <laughs> He's like, you're still in labor. And, um, <laughs> and at one o'clock in the morning, um, I woke up and I, once again, some say it under, yeah. and I, it was like a vice just grabbed hold of my, I don't know, my hips, everything, and just, and just started cranking it. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a while. This birth, I had read the Bradley method loved that book. I had watched Ricky Lake's birth story documentary. I had mm. got to know, mm, there's a couple of famous older midwives and they have birthing methods. And I read as much as I could up on the topics. And so I knew about the types of labors that there were. Um, and I knew about contractions and things subsiding. And, um, you know, my first labor, I, I tensed up through it. My second one, um, I, I was told by a wise grandmother who had 11 children, should I always imagine myself loose, like a dish rag every time, you know, loose, like a dish rag. And then with my third, I tried to imagine that the contractions were waves like the ocean coming to shore and you just it's going to come it's going to come crashing in and then it's going to come pulling back mm. it's going to come crashing in and if you can just know that you are that 
you are in that ocean, you know, and, and that's what each one of these are. And, um, someone said that each contraction is one less, you know, it's one big tight hug closer to meeting your baby. And so I had all these things in my head that I was going to say to myself in this <laughs> moment. And I was going to be, I was going to, to do hypnosis I was going to do self-hypnosis and I was just going to meditate my way, you know, and just relax my way through it. And um, I had a, a ball that I could bounce on downstairs. And so that first contraction came and I tried to sleep through the next one. And I was like, oh gosh, I'm in a drip sweat. And I ran downstairs and got my yoga ball and tried not to wake up my husband. And, but I think I made it through two more contractions. And um and then I said, this is it. You need to wake up. And he came flying up and um, he came and put his hand on me. And I think I was soaking wet. And then he went to go to the bathroom to go pee. And I took two crawls forward and I just threw up all over the carpet. And at that point, I think I was, yeah, seven contractions in and already in transition. Wow. And um, I... At that point, you know, I think it was that I had those pre-contractions for so long, that 24-hour period, and the baby just wasn't engaged. And the moment he engaged, it was like, game time, here we go. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I, we called the midwife, and at that point, he told her they were six minutes apart, but he had ran downstairs to start the tub, and he, I had one while he was gone, so so from zero to, you know, it was three minutes apart immediately. Well, they were four minutes apart, but they didn't hurt. So that moment that baby engaged and you're three minutes apart, well, that's, that's serious. That's a dead serious time to, <laughs> to have a baby. And so, um, I had, um, a photographer going to come and, um, I called her and I said, you are fired from photography. Come now. I need your help. I need your help. Brent's never seen this. And this is bad. So that was the one words that I could get out. That was the only words I could get out between that and the baby coming. <clears throat> and so she was the first to show up. And I just, I just clawed onto Brent's hands. And I'm like, you can't leave me. You can't leave me. And each contraction was like a, like a riptide. Like I, I was stuck in a ocean and I was just in circles. Just, I couldn't get air. And I think that whole process was probably 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it just felt like I was seriously, like I, I was washed to shore. And I was like, like I could hear like an ocean. It was like, I was on a sandy beach. I was sleeping. I was, I couldn't see by the way for 30 minutes. Cause I think I went from two to 10 in 30 minutes. Wow. And, um, and so I was trying to open my eyes that whole time. And it was just like, I, I would have just a couple of seconds between and then uh, the midwife walked in and um, I said, I need to go to the bathroom. And so we got up on the toilet and I went to go to the bathroom and my water broke and it was black, just mm -hmm. crap outhouse water black. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what are we going to do, Vita? What are we going to do? She said, we're going to get your baby out. So I walked to the bed, just a couple steps, and I got in position. We pushed and we pushed, and she told me to. And the the the, the pushing pains had started at that point, and so I was getting one minute break, one minute push, I think, 
and um, and they were just very timeable. And so, but the baby was stuck, and she said, "Your cervix is still in the way. You are at a ten, but your 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 cervix is just lift over his head." And she said, "Your baby's not liking this. His heart rate is dropping." And so she said, turnover. I didn't even understand what turnover means. You're just out of it. And so my husband would flip me and I couldn't make it downstairs for about 30 minutes. And then finally I said, I think I can go downstairs. And the baby wasn't coming. She just wanted it out and it wasn't. So I said, they walked me downstairs and we tried to push in the tub that was Brent had put in the kitchen. And um, it felt good. Water's awesome. But the baby was stuck, and so Pizza just kept their little grippy, tiny little fingers up there trying to push my cervix back. And she would counter push my cervix, and I would push that baby. And um, then we went against the wall. Brent was behind me. We tried so many positions. Mm. And as the time went on, that process started at one. At this point, it was five. So I'd been pushing for another, I think it was like three hours, three and a half hours. And, um, she, Brent looked at her, something happened. I was just in my, in my zone and she, Brent said, is it time to go? And she said, yes, it's time to go. And at that point, the baby had gone, you know, we started at 160, I think his heart rate was. And at that point she saw him get down to 80, I think twice once. Mm. And she said, we're out of here, let's go. And so I wasn't even packed. My cousin photographer darling Chloe packed the bags and um Brent uh, they got me in the back of my car and she's like you're having this baby in the car and she called and the hospital knew we were only a 15 minute drive and I was thinking yeah right I'm getting an epidural I'm getting knocked out I'm getting a cesarean someone's getting me out of this misery this is going to be amazing and I don't have to put this, push this baby anymore. But it was, I mean, my body was pushing the baby for me, but it was my cervix, you know, it was just in the way and um, it was getting swollen at this point. And so we got to the hospital and I got myself onto a gurney and they flipped me over and uh, it was high COVID time. So put a little mask on me. I couldn't see my feet or my baby or anything, my belly. And they, he said, I need to check you. And they put a monitor on the baby. And he said, do you want a cesarean or do you want forceps or do you want a vacuum? And I said, I'll, what do I want? And she said, you want to get your baby out, Barbara? And I said, okay, I want to get my baby out. And she's, he said, I'll, I said, I'll do the vacuum and I'll do it one time. And Brent walked in at that point, he had parked the car and they, I had one contraction, like a half contraction before he got the vacuum on the baby's head. And then he put the vacuum on the baby's head. And I was thinking, you are about to go in half right now. Oh, crap. Oh. And, and I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and he came out and it just, just the head. And, and then he goes, stop, stop, stop. And he said his hand, his hand, his cord, his cord, his cord. So he came hand first. Mm-hmm. And the hand was, um, then the cord was wrapped around his neck and his hand. And so there was a lot of unraveling to do at that point. And, um, and that was the drop in the, um, that was the reason for the drop in the blood pressure, you know, his heart rate. 
because he was straining himself every time he was pushing on his cord. And there's no way of knowing that when you're in that situation, you know, mm-hmm. and you can't take chances like that. And so, um, yeah, I, I pooped all over my house, girl. I did up one side <laughs> and down the other. <laughs> and, and, and I, yeah. And I just kept looking at the poop on my foot and I just kept thinking, someone let me get in the shower. And, <laughs> and, and she's like, you need to wait 60 minutes. And I'm like, fine. And so, <laughs> um, little Atlas, he was just, he, the most handsome little boy and all of my children were just, they were just so cute when they came out mm-hmm. and that recovery period. One beautiful thing um, that I highly recommend everyone opting into is thank you, Donald Trump and Ivanka, the 12 weeks maternity, paternity and foster care leave. Um, Washington state mandated it. Other states, you can opt in um, giving fathers and mothers that are employees the option and the opportunity to take 12 weeks off that first year you either foster or adopt a child to bond with it. And um, what an invaluable time that you will never get back. So uh, Brent got that. And I was not a full-time employee at the time. Um, so obviously I didn't get like government paid leave, but it's stuff, it's a, it's a contribution that you pay into that you withdraw out from. So wow. um, yeah, so it's not like you're getting unemployment, you know, and it's it's similar to, Social Security in the fact that every employee, you know, in the state of Washington pays into it. Um, you know, if you have more than I believe it's, you know, a dozen employees or whatever. But it's it's worthwhile to look into because, mm-hmm. you know, he was able to withdraw 90 percent of his paycheck for 12 weeks. And you could choose those weeks in advance over the first 12 months. And they even do it for foster children. So. Um, you know, even doctor's appointments and things like that. It's like, it just, what a beautiful time. And for, for girls who can't afford it and people saying, I can't financially afford to take care of my child. And, um, and for men, and I just feel like it was such a step forward in the abortion conversation when people realize that there's resources out there for Mm -hmm. you when before this, you felt like you'd been abandoned. It's like, okay, good luck. Good luck, girl. You, you know, here you are on welfare, you know, and now you have to go back to work. Oh, you're going to go make twelve fifty an hour and raise that baby. You know, no, you're not. You know, and anyway, I just think it was a beautiful step forward. And mm-hmm. so thank you, Donald Trump. Thank you, <laughs> contributing American members. And... um I'm, and and for employees and, and for employers who don't con- look down upon your employee men, <laughs> although men aren't listening to this podcast, but <laughs> who don't look down on men who take these 12 weeks off. Yeah. You know, even people in my social circle were like, your husband's going to take 12 weeks off. <laughs> like, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Mm, yeah. And he's going to change diapers and he's going to feed babas. And he's going to, yeah, bond with a baby. What Amazing. a beautiful thing. So, yeah. you know, and it, we, we would have never been able to financially afford that and been, mm-hmm. you know, given that opportunity had that not been, you know, afforded to us. 
So mm. anyway, thank you, Cosmos Auto Parts. <laughs> but I loved birth. I loved each and every one. Um, and to each their own. And, you know, God gave you that child to raise. Um, and he entrusted it to you because you were the perfect person, you know, for that little soul. So however long you get to carry it. Oh, I forgot my little Ramy. I did lose one baby. I can say it real fast. So she was, uh, it was eight weeks when I found out I was pregnant. It was 15 weeks when I found out that I had miscarried her. Um, and I just call it a, her Ramy's a boy or a girl name. So, um, and I ended up craving coffee that morning and that was it. I craved coffee at 15 weeks. And I looked at my husband and I said, our baby is gone. And I went straight to the urgency care clinic and I said, I need an ultrasound. And she said, why? And I said, cause I'm not pregnant. And she said, how do you know? I said, I just know. And they took an ultrasound and, and the baby was gone. And so I, it took a week. I didn't want a DNC cause I wanted to try again. And I, and it takes time off of being able to try if they scrape out your uterus like that. Mm-hmm. So I hoped to just pass it on my own. And after a week I didn't. And so I went and got prescribed miso. And you have a choice of taking it orally or vaginally. I took it vaginally, um, which that was my mistake. I had asked if I could take it vaginally. She said yes. She had never done it. She had unknowingly overdosed me. So you're supposed to take 50% of miso um, when it's vaginally. And she gave me three pills and she said, you know, anyway, she had given me six times too much, the prescribed dose. Wow. So I went home and I had three sons at the time. And I said, I'm going to go past this baby, assuming it was, it looked to be, you know, a, a 12, 10 week baby. And I thought it would be a short process. And so I put these three pills up me thinking I would just spend the evening up in the bath, passing the baby. And it was 20 minutes in and I was like, oh, uh oh, uh oh. And I went in and I found two of the pills in me. And I pulled them out and they were half dissolved. And um, and then I started bleeding and then I continued to bleed all night. And I just passed just so much blood. Mm. And I went through all the pads and all the diapers, all the five size five diapers from Costco, my poor three-year-old son's diapers. And um, then I called my niece with medical care advice. <laughs> I said, get over here and come see me. And she found me with a red tub. And I would sit on the toilet and it would just come out like like the size of fists or baseballs, just chunks. Mm-hmm. And it continued for hours. And she said, you need to get to the hospital. And I called the hospital and she said, bear down and push. And she's like, it's so uncounterintuitive to do that while you're bleeding so heavily. And then I did. And as soon as I bared down and pushed, I passed the baby no. and I passed the placenta and it was all intact and a little, a little, sorry, a little water sack. Yeah. And, um, and just a little baby. She was a little size of like a, a dime. It was probably about nine, 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I named it and then I got, I ended up, um, yeah, getting rid of her. I wish I would have buried her. I didn't, mm-hmm. but I named her first. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the next day I lost so much blood that um, I was weak and low iron. And so the next morning I went to attempt my day and I ended up passing out way too many times and I couldn't come to. And um, I found my cell phone, crawled to my cell phone 
and I was home alone. And I called uh, my midwife and she said, you know, it's up to you. You know, you should probably, you need to come, you need to get help. You know, obviously if you're not bleeding actively anymore, you should maybe go get checked out. Well, at that point I called my poor niece again and she took one look at me and she's like, you need to go to the hospital. Stop. <laughs> calling me. I'm not a doctor. And, um, and so I, then at that point I just said, you know what, we can call an ambulance. Cause I knew there was no way she was physically getting me up. Cause every time I lifted my head six inches off the floor, I passed out again. Wow. For, and so I was like, uh, you poor kid, you're going to have a heart attack trying to get my body, my dead, half looking dead body to the hospital. So, um, so yeah, so I did call the ambulance. I actually called out on myself and I just said, I need, I think I might need a blood transfusion and I'm good now, but if someone could come pick me up, I kind of need a ride. <laughs> And so I did. And so I ended up, um, that was that. And all that to say, don't overdose on me. So, but, um, name your babies, name your babies, mourn your babies. And I think you'll get to raise them in heaven, Yeah, you know, just from scratch when you're all perfect and you don't have any more problems either. Right. In this perfect little new world. So I, I'll get my door. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'll be good. Yeah. So, anyway, we'll get to raise him there, Danielle. So, thank you for inviting me on today. And, yeah, um, thank you for coming. <laughs> yeah. And I think what you're doing here is wonderful. I think empowering women with as much information as possible is just the coolest thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Thank Um, you. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of that. Um, yeah, yeah, that was just a beautiful, beautiful journey. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you were encouraged in some way through this story. As a reminder, Please rate and review our podcast and you can connect with us on social media at Birth Journeys Podcast. For more information or to share your own story, please visit birthjourneyspodcast.com and fill out the brief questionnaire. See you next time.